Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. schedule today. Um, we'll have sitting now and then a period of walking. And then at four o'clock, instead of a Dharma talk, there will be free time. And in that time, this room can be used for sitting meditation or walking meditation or yoga um, until dinner, which is at 5.30. And then after dinner, um, the two periods of walking and sitting will be just like before, also with interviews. And then at 8.15, we'll have a break. At 9 o'clock, there will be tea. And um, then at 10 o'clock, there will be um, more sitting. What could be more exciting? <laughs> Somewhere in there, eating, sleeping, defecating, all the other ways we can practice. So because there's no Dharma talk, I just want to give you a few words to encourage you this afternoon. And um, I've been talking about the soft path. And now I just want you to push a little bit, gently. So if you find that you have some free time and you want to lie down, when you lie down, practice mindfulness of breathing and listening and the body. If you're going to um, walk, practice formal walking. Um, if you have five minutes here or there, you finished brushing your teeth, maybe for the first time this week alone, then um, when you're done, come in here and sit and just put in the minutes, the half hours, the hours uh, as we head towards um, New Year's tonight.
For a little while last night the stars were pretty clear, just in one corner of the sky. And um, I was thinking about being a kid. And I don't know if any of you remember, maybe as a kid, the first time you ever looked up into the sky and saw the stars. Not just seeing a star or two, but the first time you had the experience of really seeing stars and being reduced by it. And the effect of uh, disappearing and also some kind of quiet gratitude or appreciation for whatever this is we find ourselves in. And that experience is so huge that it's too big to claim for oneself, just like the canopy of stars or even cloud, like right now. Or even the breath, or even this retreat, or even your experience of your life is just way too big to get your mind around. There is no freedom There is no Buddha apart from your life. That seems to have become the theme of the week. An anonymous Japanese student, maybe on a small square of paper like these ones up here, wrote, By the way, please don't send me little pieces of your own wisdom. I know if I quote too many anonymous quotes, they start appearing on my cushion. (laughs) What is known as realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grab an ordinary person's life. What is known as realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grab an ordinary person's life. Lin Chi says it this way, in this lump of raw flesh is a true person of no status, continually going in and out of the face of each one of you Those who have not confirmed this, look, look. Let me repeat that. In this lump of raw flesh is a true person of no status. In China, um, if you're a person of no status, you're a marginalized person. And some of you who have been practicing this path know that it ruins your life and you become marginalized. You uh, stop staying up really late at night. You start waking up early to sit still. You start burning incense.
you stop shopping so much. Or you keep shopping, but you do it for other people. And this lump of raw flesh is a true person of no status, continually going in and out of the face of each one of you. In this quixotic play that we call life, we only find conditions. When you are meditating and feelings start to arise, the mind labels them as feelings and then reactivity kicks in and you like them or you don't like them. In fact, Carl Jung thought the ego was just a defense mechanism that decided like and dislike. And we can see this in our meditation practice. And everything that arises, arises in conditions that appear, disappear, reappear, always in different configurations. And then the mind superimposes on those conditions a reality. And in Buddhist terminology, this is called emptiness. Which means, empty of what? That everything you experience is empty of an eternal fixed substance. That even though you think your sadness is real, if you look really closely, its conditions that are changing, coming and going. When anxiety grips you and your chest feels like it's lead, it feels so real and yet 10 minutes later it's something else. Whenever I think about impermanence, Philosophically, I always think of my grandmother, who used to always say, if it's not one thing, it's another. And it's true. This morning you were obsessed with something. Now you're obsessed with something else. And tonight you'll be obsessed with something else. So, emptiness is a lens through which we can see that no thing exists in the way you think it exists. Understanding impermanence is understanding emptiness. So emptiness means that when you look closely at a thing, you realize there is no such thing as a thing except for the words you have about it. When the Buddha taught emptiness, he picked up a flower and he just smelled it. And then he said that the scent of this flower is not in the petal, is not in the stem, is not in the pollen. 
In other words, the conditions give rise to the scent, but you can't find the core of a flower. We go around thinking we have a core, we have a center, there is some irreducible part of me that is Michael. But if I go looking for that irreducible piece, I can't find Michael anywhere. I look closely at my eyes and at my hands and at my thoughts, and I don't actually see Michael. Michael is this dependent arising. It's what happens between us. So the first teaching that we see in our meditation practice is impermanence. And usually the second thing we start to notice is suffering. That whenever something is impermanent and you try and make it permanent, you suffer. In fact, if you look at any conflict in your life, you can see how in some way you are trying to turn those conditions into something permanent. Trying to make our relationships permanent, our careers permanent, our philosophies permanent. And then you become restless because things change. For the meditator, there's nothing really radical about that. The only thing that's radical about the Buddha's teaching is that he takes it one step further and says, because everything is impermanent and everything is contingent on everything else, there is no such thing as a center. The center of everything is the center. Or maybe you can't find the center of anything because everything is center. <coughs> and then emptiness becomes a path. A path of non-resistance. So emptiness is The, the way, the path, the mode, a mode of living where we're not reifying everything we experience. So for example, when you're sitting and pain arises in the knee, the tendency in the mind, once we feel pain, is to try and move away from the pain. And then the language changes and we say, my pain, my knee. And then suddenly there's a me that's experiencing the pain. Or you can say, the pain. There's pain in the knee without referring the pain back to a me. Tiredness is present. Noticing tiredness without identifying with it as my tiredness. And then as I mentioned last night, you can watch tiredness from the place in you that's not tired. But usually when something arises that we don't want to be there, we refer it back to a me. I'm tired. I feel pain. I am sad. My loneliness. 
my anxiety, my sorrow. And these compulsions, really, they distort our reality. And if you look closely, um, the, the world is so interdependent that you really can't pin anything down except with words. And usually they're kind of mediocre anyways. Every good word becomes a bad word eventually. So emptiness is not something you realize in a flash. You don't suddenly see emptiness. Emptiness is not the end of your exhale. Emptiness is not a thing that all of your thoughts dissolve into. And emptiness is not nothing. The word shunyata comes from the root shu, which means to swell. And it's the same word in Sanskrit we use to um, describe pregnancy. That everything is so interconnected, that everything is so swollen with everything else, that we actually can't really find a thing. This is not philosophy. This is a way of looking and a way of taking our meditation practice to the next level. So that when something arises, to see that nothing that shows up in awareness belongs to I, me, or mine. It's just a passing display of appearances. And furthermore, as soon as you say, as soon as you categorize what you're experiencing, then you become separate from it. And that's why for most of you, I've been encouraging you to keep this a very physical practice, to experience things underneath language, because it doesn't allow you to split off from what you're experiencing. And this is how emptiness functions as a meditative technique. And then we can see how things are interconnected. You can't hate somebody unless you imagine that person as hateful. And inversely, you can't forgive somebody until you've let them into your own heart. It's natural on a retreat, being so close to other people, that we judge people, split them off. I remember a retreat earlier this year when we did a closing council and we went around the circle and everybody talked about how judgmental they were. And the only thing I could think of, wow, what were they thinking about me? (laughs) 
So when you go around on the retreat and you judge people, instead just look at each person. Recognize yourself. Oh yeah, I can do that. How can they snore? Oh yeah, I've done that. They cut me off in line. Eating cheese. helpings. And so emptiness doesn't allow us to split off like that. Reminds us of our interdependency. It's kind of a shame because one of the great meditation techniques is looking at things through the lens of emptiness. But because people have read so much about emptiness in a kind of skewed way, We think emptiness is a thing, like that you realize one day. Or it's like some vacuum that you disappear into and everything becomes meaningless and quiet and sad. You can see all the empty monks in their black robes wandering around. Sad with one another. Emptiness is fullness. It's boundlessness. So when you sit, and when we're meditating for the rest of the day today, I would like you to notice not just that things change, but that because what's changing is changing constantly, and arising in conditions, nothing that you start focusing on actually exists until you start giving it a name and a form. That our minds just want to relax. And the way they relax is they give everything a name. And then they go, oh, that's what that is. And if you don't have a name for something, it can be quite overwhelming. So by entering the meditation practice, by being very close to the breath at a visceral physical level, then we undercut that conceptual mind and make contact with what we call non-duality, the non-separation, the oneness with pain. Oneness with sadness. Oneness with a fever. Oneness with a knee. In fact, when you look closely at the knee and you feel the knee, uh, where does it start and where does it end, really? I'm sure some of you already have had the experience that when, when you're sitting and you're focused, 
and you're not looking at your body, you actually forget the body. That the boundaries of the body actually start to dissolve. Or maybe even one part of the body. If you stop saying leg, 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 and you just stay focused on the breath and awareness, then the boundaries of the body actually just stop. Almost like everything becomes pixels. You don't even have to take LSD. And in a relational way, this is how gratefulness arises. And this is how forgiveness arises, naturally. You can give yourself a break from defining and defining and defining who you are in relation to what's happening to you. And you can give other people a break Except your parents. <laughs> My friend Christopher Chapel always says that the reason why the Indians invented past lives is to just take their parents off the hook. <clears throat> but even can we see that our parents have lived restricted lives? And now we too live lives that are semi-unconscious. And to also forgive ourselves for the unskillful things we've said this year. Or even today. Even internally. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. So emptiness is a tool we can use. And I encourage you today just to look closely at your experience without deciding about it, without making up your mind, and just to contact this flow of life that appears as feelings and sensations and thoughts without separating out, without parceling yourself off. And that's emptiness functioning in our meditation practice. So again, to repeat our schedule this afternoon, we'll have a short period of sitting now then walking meditation, then after walking, this room is free for an hour and a half. If you want to do some yoga practice or some sitting practice, that's fine. Um, Every moment you have, if you have an extra two minutes between getting some tea and going to the washroom, just sit inside, out there, 
Then we'll have dinner. Then walking and sitting practice, just like before. That time will be for interviews. Then there'll be some free time. Then optional tea at 9 o'clock. And then we'll start at 10 o'clock sitting together. It will all be posted in the hall. Karina, will you do the bell ringing again tonight? And David, will you ring the bells just like last time? 